Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas, Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out, right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. If you come to Las Vegas, of course, you always want to visit the Mob Museum because people just seem to love talking about the mob. And we have somebody today to talk about a particular mobster that you might not know the name of, but you should. His name is Frank Balistrieri, and our guest is Wayne Quigman, who wrote the book The Life and Times of Frank Balistrieri, The Last Most Powerful Godfather of Milwaukee. Well, Wayne, welcome. When it comes to Frank, a lot of people don't know who he is. But he is very important when we're talking about Las Vegas. Absolutely, sir. I think he is very much unknown, which is the way I like to have it, have it kept. And I think without Frank and his connections to Vegas, especially Alan Glick and the Teamsters, we wouldn't have the Vegas that we have today, sir. Well, it's really interesting, you know, as I went through your book and so forth. He is a guy that worked his way through the ranks and really dominated a city like Milwaukee. People might not think about Milwaukee when they think of the mafia, but actually he kind of ran the town for a long time. He did. Um, Frank ran the town from, the, from the 60s on to his final incarceration in prison for being caught up with the skim. And, and Frank kind of came up the easy way. He married into the family, literally. He married the daughter of the godfather before him. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's an easy way to do it, right? You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You marry the boss's daughter, and the road is pretty much well paved. Not to say he was not a mobster, because he certainly was. Not to say that he couldn't do the bad things, because I believe he certainly did. You don't call him the Mad Bomber for nothing. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. His nickname is the Mad Bomber, and that wasn't about his football long throws, was it? <laughs> no, it was not. It seemed that more than one person who he had disagreements with tend to blow up in cars. In fact, there's a famous story where one man was driving down the road, his car was coming in problems, he was not sure what's going on, so he took it to the gas station, and long and behold, in his engine they found 12 sticks of dynamite. I wonder why he picked that particular, was that sort of a mafia thing that you wanted to have a particular style in terms of doing the hits? Well, in my opinion, it's before the RICO accidents and the other laws really putting you in prison for using dynamite. It's a pretty easy way to make sure someone died because you can miss with a bullet. You can hit him and wound him and everything else, right? You put a few sticks of dynamite in his car and it blows up, say, near his gas tank. Yeah, he was uh, named, I know, by Fortune magazine is uh, the 17th on the list of the 50 biggest mafia bosses. And I always find it intriguing how they worked among each other because that organization didn't stop at the borders of Wisconsin. No, what's interesting is that not only was he in number 17, according to the Forbes, but he came really close to having a seat on the Crime Commission, right? That meant he had to have money, he had to have power, he had to have influence. And for Milwaukee, most people don't think that would be the case, but you know, Milwaukee in the day was a rather interesting city, because we are in the Great Lakes, right? So you have the shipping things going in. He had a little bit of union stuff going on, but... Also, he had a large community of Italians, the Polish, and other immigrants that liked to gamble. So he had that thing, too, going on. He had the money. And because he had a close working relationship with the Chicago outfit, he had that muscle, too. Because if you remember from the book, and definitely it's reported 
in the Freedom of Information Act returns that we got, Kansas City did not like him a lot. It wasn't the fact that he had had backup from the Chicago outfit from, say, people such as Milwaukee Phil. Franklin had never made it very far, but he had the friendship and the business relationships with other more powerful people that made sure he was going to be okay. Well, he was no dummy either. I mean, he had a college education, went to law school for a few months and so forth. So this wasn't a guy that was just kind of a thug that fell into this position. He was smart. Absolutely. And if you look at his Vegas skim and how they did it, and you look at Ellen Glick, you'll also find out that one, if not both of his sons, worked as attorneys for Ellen Glick, right? Right. Well, let's talk about the Vegas skim because I think that's really important. How did he get involved with Las Vegas, and what is the Vegas skim? The Vegas skim is, generally speaking, is the, the ability that the mob had from taking money from the casinos before it was properly counted and the taxes paid. And they did so by different means. One of the best ones that I really find fascinating is they rigged the scales where, say, 10 pounds worth, of, 10 pounds of quarters was, say, $100. They rigged the scales where, where 10 pounds of quarters would only show up as $9. That would give them that money. They also faked betting slips. They also lost betting slips. They also came up with truly, in Vegas, I don't know the correct term, but there's the correct term, uh, where people can put change and the change can get recycled into the casino. Some of those were fake. They were never collected. Well, they were collected but by the mafia. So there's various ways that they were able to, I'll use the word, steal money before it's properly counted. How Frank got involved is because of Alan Glick, who bought at one time four casinos, got a Teamster loan for more for another one, right? And he got that because he knew Godfather Frank. Now, how Alan Glick met Frank is interesting subject to speculation because no one knows for sure. Some people claim that one of his sons went to school with Glick. Some people claim there's no way they, they meant to stay in the golf course. I don't think that happened. I expect it took a personal recommendation that they had to know someone in common. Wasn't Lefty uh, Rosenthal involved in this as well? In helping the, helping the skimp take place because he ran those casinos, he ran those sports book, yes. Frankie, Frank Rosenthal would also become involved because once the skimp blew up in everybody's faces, his car would blow up, which leads us to suspicion of who wanted Rosenthal dead. As you may know, uh, many people thought, even though now we know that Rosenthal was an FBI plant, uh, FBI my mall, like the mall, right? Many people suspected back in the day. My thought is that Frank also suspected that Rosenthal was indeed an FBI mole or, or informant, right? And decided to um, take him out because he was going to go to jail for a while. Why let the guy who was put you in jail live? Frank definitely had the temper to want him dead. You know, they did try to use a car bomb, so it makes sense to me that perhaps it was Frank. Other people say it was Kansas City. Some people say it was Chicago. We'll never know. And all this uh, kind of led to that, you know, you were mentioning before about the Kansas City-Milwaukee dispute. They almost went to war over this, right? Yeah, it's a couple of things, yes. The Vola brothers are no people to play around with. They, too, had tempers. They, too, would kill someone to, do, you know, to make a point. You know, the fact that it did not come to a war only shows the power that the outfit had to mediate disputes, because that's the way it took. They had to sit down and say, okay, these are what's, we're arguing about these things. What kind of an arrangement can we come to to make this go away? Because a war of that magnitude 
would have done nobody any good. Yeah, and how do the banks get involved? I mean, I, I understand <laughs> that the, the, the banks are, you're figuring, how do they get in, in the middle of this stuff? Well, that's interesting subject for, for speculation, because if I would ever do the next book in the series would be Franco's of Vegas, that would be something I really want to look at, because bankers are no fools. And my belief, my strong belief that, say, banks in Vegas are definitely not foolish, and they would have done a lot more due diligence. So my question is, what banks were used, what other connections may have had to Mapsters? I know they worked with the Teamsters, and we all know that the Teamsters had a relationship, some of the Teamsters had a very interesting relationship with some of the Mapsters. Did that smooth the way where the banks don't care where they got their money from? That were many of the banks in Vegas at that time were owned or controlled by members of the Latter-day, Latter-day Saints. Is there such a thing as the Mormon Mafia? would be all subjects I would find fascinating to look into because most of those loans went the same, from, into the same field of banks to make happen. And obviously, they made money. How much money did they make from it, and what connections do they all have with the mob and with the different banks and the teamsters? Didn't end up well for Frank, though, well, when you look at it. Once the mid-80s hit, did battle with the law, and it, it really stopped him from going further, which he was kind of targeted to, to, to be a higher-level mobster, but it, he got he got caught up in that. Uh, and uh, really, the whole family, uh, they took quite a hit. When Frank fled out, he fled out under the circumstances that his sons would not be charged, right? But they would go to prison for extortion, I believe, trying to extort vending machines. An FBI mole got involved. I think that led to the fact that the, the FBI were able to charge the brothers with extortion in the vending machine business, and I put them in jail for a few years. Frank himself would go to jail as part of the uh, Vegas skim for, I think, over 10 years, and he would get out basically in time to die. Incredible story. How do we get a hold of your book? Because I think people that love um, the mob stories and so forth, this is a great one, and one you haven't heard before. So how, how do we get a hold of your book? Well, my, all my stuff, all my works can be found on Amazon. If they would want to go to Amazon and and type in Wayne Klingman, you know, they can see Frank, and Frank's available in paperback and in Kindle and in audiobook. All money I get from selling a Frank, right, go and help pay for the cat rescue that we have here. So actually, if you need to buy a book, I have an excuse to tell your wife, say you bought a book at Frank Help Cats. <laughs> we will. Thanks so much for being with us today. Appreciate it, My Wayne. Pleasure. You've been listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast with new shows loaded twice weekly. Got a guest idea? Email us at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com and catch the show live every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, coast to coast on the Biz Talk Radio Network.